Hello and welcome to the More Confidence with Luna Gaia podcast. I am your host, Luna Gaia, and here we talk all things body image, self-esteem, self-love, and how to return to a place where you get to truly love the skin that you're in, not just on the outside, but to reconnect with your soul and your heart so that you can feel whole once again. On today's episode, we have the wondrous Cat Fox here. She's a certified master level coach specializing in body image work using an intuitive eating and spiritual approach, which I adore. She helps women find true, genuine body peace so that they can live their life liberated in their bodies and own their greatness. With her experience in transformational coaching, she's able to guide her clients through old belief systems and reprogram those beliefs so that they can step into the most empowered version of themselves. She is always guiding her clients back to themselves, helping them tap into their own intuition and make self-guided decisions throughout their journey back home into their bodies. It is from this place that they can feel into their sense of worth and create the life they most desire to live. It is such a pleasure to have Kat here. What I love so much about Kat's journey is that she had a huge experience of of disordered eating, had an eating disorder, hated her body for a long time and came to a point in her life where after having children, maybe after feeding child and, and breast changing, had this moment of I guess this aha moment, this moment of clarity, Kat, tell me more, what Mm. happened? Tell us a bit about your story, about your, about your history with eating disorders. And then what happened when you had your child and everything kind of fell on top of you? Yeah. First of all, thank you for that beautiful introduction. It was, it was so warming for me. Um, Thank you for being here. So yeah, thank you for having me. As far, as far as my disordered relationship with food and body goes, it's, it was essentially my whole life. Mm. I didn't know anything Mm. aside from the disordered relationship. I was never taught how to have a healthy relationship with food. Mm. Um, I was never taught how to see my body as good and, and enough and worthy. I was always taught to just fear food Mm. and hate body. That's really the only thing that I knew. Um, My, my first memory of deciding that my job as a woman was to be physically and energetically small. I was five years old. Oh, I was, who feels that? Oh yeah. And you know, the thing is I, I had mentioned earlier cause we were talking earlier, but I'm, I'm an, I'm a small human. I'm a yeah. naturally small human. That shouldn't be something that I was concerning myself with at, at that age. Yeah. Um, but because I was attending all of the Weight Watchers meetings with my grandmother and my mother, it became very, very clear to me that, you know, as a female, it's my job to make sure that I weigh in at a certain weight, that I don't gain weight. I don't go over this, you know, whatever number they want me to not go over. And I had no idea what that was for anybody, but I knew that you weren't supposed to gain weight. Yes. And as a five-year-old, I knew that they, you know, these women in my life and attending every single meeting was don't eat anything outside of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And make sure you're weighing out all of your portions and you're only allowed to have a brownie or a cookie or a muffin if you have extra points from the day before. Yeah. Or if you have reserved calories from the day before. Right. Yeah. And so that was naturally, um, 
something that I really just kind of took on for myself. And then as I got older, through elementary school especially, all of the girls would gather on the playground in a circle and we would compare our bodies. Who's gotten bigger over the last year? Who has less fat on their bodies? Who yeah. still has the baby fat that we're just supposed to magically lose all of a sudden by the time we're in like first grade? Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah. um, we're already comparing our bodies so yes. young. And of course, the the older I get, I start to notice that my body is changing because, you know, 10, 10 to 12 years old is when we go through those really big transitions from little girlhood to adolescents, adolescents we are yeah. entering into young adult women yeah. and our bodies are going to change but nobody told me that it would require me to gain weight yes yeah exactly that this natural occurrence is going to happen and you're going to curve weird and nobody mentioned it yes and so and that, couple that with couple that with fear food hate body mm-hmm. And, and the fact that putting on any amount of weight is bad, naturally, as a, as a growing child, adolescent, you're going to feel yeah. wrong, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, like, already by fourth grade, I'm weighing myself every day. And what's fourth grade? How old are you in fourth grade for, for all of us? That oh, are? yes. <laughs> Schools are different across the yeah, world. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, fourth grade for me, I was probably 10 years old. Okay. Yep. Cool. Yep. 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 So, so already by that time, I'm, I'm scared to eat things that aren't deemed healthy. I'm um, skipping a lot of meals. I'm not really allowing myself snacks, Mm. especially like with the after school program, there was, it was kind of weird to be like, oh, I'm not hungry because all the other kids were eating. And so I would just kind of sit there silently and wait to be dismissed. Mm. Um, And eventually I would say it turned into full-fledged eating disorder when I was probably about 15 is when people finally started getting concerned Mm -hmm. because even though I had gotten my menstrual cycle at like 12, 13 years old, Mm -hmm. it was never regular. Yeah. Right. Mm. And that was kind of a red flag. Yeah. But what became the red flag was when I wasn't gaining weight mm. and I wasn't growing anymore. Yes. Yeah. So that's when, um, you know, I started seeing nutritionists and I, I was taken to a whole new doctor and I really just, I was able to say, well, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready to admit that there was a problem. Well, the, and there wasn't um, one cat. The reality is that psychologically, Mm-hmm. There wasn't a problem because you were doing all the things that you were raised to do, which was yeah. to fear being fat, fear putting on weight, fear growing bigger mm-hmm. um, and, and watching what you ate, which is all that you were doing. Mm-hmm. You were just doing what you were modelled to do. It's yeah. just that yeah. you, were, you were a child and didn't need to lose any weight. That was the, that was yeah. the thing, but that part wasn't educated as, as part of your upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. I think the really big thing too, was I never fit in. Yeah. I've always been a very, I don't know, unique individual, which I totally own now. I'm different than anybody else. And I'm totally okay with that. That's just, that's something I really have learned to embrace. Mm. But as a child, you just want to fit in. Yeah. And so I thought that if I could just 
be thin enough, then the girls would be my friends and the boys would like me. Yeah. And that's not while I, while I did have confirmation that boys liked me specifically through promiscuity in my teen years, um, and, and accolades from girls on, oh, you're so thin. Mm. How do you manage to stay so thin? Um, (laughs) it it was never enough because right. I'm still looking in the mirror at night in tears, wishing I could cut off all these parts that I just hate about myself. Like the way my hips curve, which is nothing it doesn't matter how little I eat and how much I work out. My hips curve the way they do. It's a bone. That's my genetics. Yeah, and it's a yeah. bone of your body, right? Like you can't. Yeah. You you, you can't shape that. Mm-hmm. By exactly. Any food. And we're just not taught that there's body diversity. Mm-hmm. That that was something that we have to learn on our own, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And the more that we do this work as adults, we can set the next generation up. It's yeah. really legacy work. Yeah. But um. I would say my, my turning point was well into motherhood. It wasn't even like after it, it was years after I had had yep. my son. Yep. Um, he was, he was a C-section baby mm-hmm. and I was a high risk pregnancy mm-hmm. and there was some concern because I wasn't gaining any weight after 36 weeks. Yeah, it's right. like, I, I was gaining kind of steadily. Mm-hmm. And then at 36, he stopped growing and I stopped growing. Yeah. Right. And I was really made to feel like that was my fault. Yeah. But by that point, ultimate... by that point, Kat, were you were you eating? Like that sort of we've 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 jumped a bit from 15 mm-hmm. um to I know you mentioned you had had him young. So was yeah. like were you eating at that point? Were you were you were you still so, in the kind of midst of the disorder, do you think? I was most certainly in the midst of the disorder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was, um to be clear, I was 18 when I got pregnant. Okay, I yeah. Actually, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I graduated school early. Yeah. So I did manage to finish school. Mm-hmm. I got my high school degree yeah. before I got pregnant, which is really more than I guess any of my family could have asked of me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, teen years were very messy internally. And I, you know, the only control that I had was with food. food yeah. And so at 18, this was still there. Yeah. Um, I was also sick through the whole pregnancy. So it was very hard for me to keep anything down. Even if I did want to eat Mm -hmm. really, the only thing that I could keep down was nuggets and fries because they were so bland. They didn't make me sick. Yeah. And and the Um, salty factor. No, for for me, when I was super sick through pregnancy, it was salty food that was really, it helped me. Yeah. 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 That, that salt calmed everything down every so single so time you're, so you're 36 weeks pregnant um mm-hmm. you've stopped growing he stopped growing and you're being shamed around it so just another addition yep. to your body is wrong and you are wrong what what then yeah yeah so um they there was they put me on bed rest they're like oh well you know we want to make sure that you're not exerting yourself too much and um both our heart rates were going up okay. so it's there was some stress testing done and all of that not so fun stuff. Mm. <laughs> it was really quite miserable. It, it really was. And um it was kind of one of those things where like I wanted to eat because I was hungry. Mm. And yet at the same time I was so stressed that I just couldn't eat. Yeah. And so yeah. when I when I was able to kind of force feed myself, mm. it wouldn't stay down anyways. Yeah, right. And I, I made it to full term. I made it to full term. 
um, they, they had long story short, they had tried to induce me mm-hmm. and that puts my child's little body into a panic right? Yeah. and they had to go straight into an emergency C-section. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, you know, with the C-section, you're in the hospital a lot longer. And it wasn't until three days in that hospital bed that the nurse's team came up and said, you know, it's time to get up. It's time to take a shower. It's time to, you know, start reacclimating into the world again. Mm -hmm. And I tried so hard not to look in the mirror. Like that was the one thing that I just wanted to avoid, but the bathroom had a whole wall just full of mirror. Why did they would do this to women? I don't know, (laughs) but in my peripherals, I see this body that I just don't recognize anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought I had body image issues before and I knew I did. Mm-hmm. I'd been struggling for an- with anorexia for years. Yeah. I I knew and I was not prepared for this level. It it was a whole new level of body image and dysmorphia that I was not prepared for and that nobody told me would impact me the way it did. And I just felt myself break. Particularly when we have that adage. And and I remember having a very similar Mm -hmm. experience and and still me, I'm, I'm five months postpartum. So it's, it's very fresh for me in that that reality in terms of my body. And and I put on a significant amount of weight during my pregnancy. Um, And so and so carrying that, I still have the belly and it's five, it's five months mm-hmm. later. And, and I even remember immediately afterwards just being like, there's this, I didn't even notice a cat and I've been working on this for a long time and, and my body image and self-esteem and self-love is solid at this point yeah. in my life. And yet having that experience of, you know, the world has told me, get your Get your, you know, get your body, your post body baby. What am I trying to say? You're, you know what I mean? Like, um, get your body back. Get your body back. Get your body yeah. back. And, and you know, Kim Kardashian did it in six weeks, or so and so did it in, mm-hmm. you know, in a really short period of time. And I didn't realize how much of that messaging had gotten to me until mm-hmm. that the similar moment for you. Like I'm standing there in front of the mirror, and maybe straight away I was like, oh well, you know, like. It happens, but a week later, three mm. weeks later, five weeks later, I'm like, why, why hasn't it gone away yet? Like, mm. why hasn't, why, why has my body still looked so different? And, and I really had to use all of my tools to be able to yep. be okay with me. And, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm seven kilos. I don't know what that is in pounds, but I'm seven, I'm still seven kilos heavier than I was pre-pregnancy. Now I put on 20 so that, mm-hmm. you know, but there's still this idea that I need to be smaller. There's still, yeah. it, it. I still need to not battle it. It's not the word that I use. I still need to recognize that there's programming that's happened that tells mm-hmm. me that after having a baby, your body's meant to look a certain way. Oh yeah. And that we're just going to bounce back right away. Yeah. The, and, and rubber cesarean, right? <laughs> like you've just had major yep. abdominal surgery. Um, yep. You can't do much. Exactly. Yeah. And I can't, you know, I wasn't allowed to drive for three months. Yep. Um, I wasn't fully healed for three months either. Mm. And it was, it was one of the hardest moments of my life because like I chose to breastfeed my child. Mm-hmm. 
I wanted to do that. And I had more than enough milk production to be able to do so. Right. Yeah. But I also knew that I wasn't going to keep producing milk if I didn't eat. Yeah. So it was like almost this process of healing, but not really healing. I ate to feed my child. Yeah. The second he was no longer nursing, which was after about two years, Mm -hmm. I immediately fell back into my old patterns again. Yeah, right. I I wasn't You just put it on hold. Yeah, I I just put it on hold. And it's like, Mm. you know, he hit, I I was, I was certainly over-exercising during the process of nursing as well. And that was like the only way I knew how to control what was happening. Yeah. Um, There was still a lot of food restriction. Let's be honest. I didn't allow myself any of the Christmas sweets. I wasn't allowed to have any candy ever. No desserts. It was a very strict meal plan that I had placed myself on. Yeah. Um, and then when, when he had turned to, it just, you know, I, I immediately fell back into everything again. Mm-hmm. I stopped eating again. I was exercising probably about three hours a day, wow. totally exhausted. Yeah. Um, he was, I didn't get a set. I'm going to call it a semi-regular period because it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't non-existent. It would say hello every once in a while. That's a lie, yeah. <laughs> you know? it, was not- it was not regular. regular yeah. And, um, So my period really did not come back well until actually it was 2020 when I started having consistent period again. Yeah, right. Because I I had just damaged and abused and neglected my body for so many years. Yeah. It took a long time to get that piece back. But when you're nursing, about six months in, you, you get your menstrual cycle back again. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it's sooner because we have different bodies. And sometimes, um, sometimes it's later. Yeah, some people don't, don't get yep. it the whole time they're nursing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And for me, it was about between six and eight months, mm-hmm. but it became a lot more infrequent. Yeah. With the, when the, he turned two. Yeah. Yeah. Because everything I, I had gone into my control freak frenzy with food and exercise again. Um, and I would, he was five years old when I was getting ready in the morning and he had come up to me. So we're fast forwarding a little bit. I had been struggling, struggling, struggling. Um, also I should actually rewind a little bit too. So when he was, when he was three, Hmm. I was officially clinically diagnosed with my eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And that was because I, (laughs) I had collapsed at work. Yeah. Right. And so all of a sudden, you know, my body just can't take the beating anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was forced to start making some improvement yeah. Well, I started eating again, but I was still over-exercising yes. and still restricting a lot too. So like, it was the bare minimum yeah. that I was willing to do. That was even with all of the hair loss, even with the lack of energy, mm. even with the avoiding of family photos and, you know, not taking my son to the pool because I didn't want my body to be seen by other people. And I didn't want to be judged and shamed the way I was judging and shaming myself at home. Yeah. I still didn't think anything was wrong until. Well, one morning, and again, it's, it's that thing that, that yep. it's, that's the narrative that's acceptable. It's socially. So, mm-hmm. so really what we're doing that the socially acceptable narrative is that of an eating disorder. 
It's socially yes. acceptable to shame your body, to restrict food mm-hmm. and to hate yourself. That's the narrative. Yeah. So so then when people go, quote, extreme on that, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, you have an eating disorder. No, honey, mm-hmm. everybody has a freaking eating disorder. Like, If you're on a diet, <laughs> it's, it's an disordered eating, eating. It's disordered eating. Correct. Yes. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is we have three major things that influence our body image and our relationship with food. That's family, mm-hmm. peers, and the media. Yeah. Now, I was also a huge pop culture junkie because I didn't have a lot of friends. So mm-hmm. I was surrounded with music and art and TV and film yeah. and magazines. And so I became obsessed yes. with not only the trends, but what used to be. Yeah. Right. And so, like, I watched a lot of Save by the Bell because mm-hmm. I loved the 80s, even though I'm a 90s kid. Yeah. <laughs> I loved learning about um, the trends before me and upcoming trends. And it was pop culture junkie. Yeah. And that really fed into my justification mm-hmm. over what I was doing to myself. Yeah. Because I thought that that's just what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely is socially acceptable. But yet, like you said, when you go on the extreme end of it, People are like, oh, but wait a minute, this is too far. And it's your fault then. So so the the narrative that gets spewed out of us in media and everywhere is that you Mm -hmm. need to control your food, you need to restrict, you need to um, exercise more and eat less. That is is the narrative, 100% in order to be healthy. But if you take that too far, it's, oh, my God, I get so pissed off about this, Kat. Mm -hmm. It's always our fault. It's always it our is. fault. If, it is. If, if I if I fail on the diet, mm-hmm. I fail the diet. If you become yep. you get an eating disorder, you failed. Every single yep. whale on the line, it is our fault. If we take it to extreme, mm-hmm. then oh well, we just didn't know how to handle ourselves. Or if I if I then break mm-hmm. my diet because I can't restrict that much and then end up binging and then purging, my fault. It's yep. And I, I appreciate personal responsibility. And of course, as a coach, you'd teach the same thing. Oh, yeah. Personal responsibility is important. Yeah. At the same time, we also have to accept that this is the culture we're raised Correct. in. 100%. Across the world, clearly. I mean, this is nothing new for anybody. No. <laughs> um, and one thing that really kind of pisses me off, though, is you don't get diagnosed with an eating disorder unless your body actually changes the way mine did. I had friends who had eating disorders for years and never got diagnosed because they lived in bigger bodies. Yeah. And yet they were starving themselves. They just are naturally supposed to be in a bigger body, <laughs> which doesn't mean anything about them. Uh-huh. And yet they were still told, oh, just keep doing what you're doing because it's working. Yeah, it's okay, it's, well, it's, okay, not it's okay to starve yourself until you're anorexic, mm-hmm. in which yep. case it's not okay to starve yourself or you should really eat something. Hang on, mm-hmm. you've been telling me my whole damn life. And mm-hmm. and you're 100% right. Um, I think Tess Holiday, if you're familiar with her, she's, um, she's an American plus-size mm-hmm. supermodel. She's just recently come out and, and told the world that she has an eating disorder and people, yeah. like anorexia, and people are like, but you're fat. You can't. It doesn't matter. And she's like, yeah. You know what? You can have anorexia, and yeah. because it's a, it's a, it's a mental disease. It's not. It is. <laughs> it, 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 you know, eating disorders and mental illnesses and and disease 
does not discriminate on body. It really does not. <laughs> and it does look very different from body to body. Yeah. So my, you know, my best friend lived in a bigger body and she was doing the same shit I was and still never got diagnosed. Yeah. And she was some, at some point she was certainly more severe than I was as well. Mm. Um, for me, I happen to have a body that changes when I starve myself. Yeah. And that's also somewhat of a privilege because that allowed the medical community that I was surrounded by to say, this needs to stop. Stop. Yes. Yeah. And I was able to get some level of help, but what really changed it for me was when my son started calling himself fat in the mirror at five years old, when I started to when you started, in. Yeah, yes. yeah. And that was my big wake up call. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't let this happen. No. He's five. And also he's always been slightly underweight yes. for his age. Yeah. He's always fallen below that line yeah. on, on the doctor's charts. And so it just baffled me that yeah. this was even a thing. And my partner has also said too, that that's how he knew things were getting bad with me again. Yeah. When, when your son started. When, when he noticed my son taking on the same behaviors, mm. he then realized that I was struggling again. Yeah. But the thing is, I never actually started healing. Yeah. I just masked it. Yeah. Right. And so that was the week that I really started to commit. Yeah. I threw out my scale. That was the first thing that I did. Yes. I, I also threw out all of the clothes that didn't fit mm -hmm. that were too small Yep. and just got rid of them. Mm -hmm. But what I didn't do yet was stop dieting. Yeah. And it's a process, right? And I want people mm -hmm. listening here at home that, you know, I stopped weighing myself too. Like there's just a, a number on a scale. Imagine people didn't mm -hmm. know in the same kind of way that you said before. There used to be a time where people didn't know how much they weighed. And it didn't even matter. It was never taken into account. It never determined whether or not you were healthy or whether or not you were enough or if you were good. And now um, it's one of those things where that's what everybody wants to focus on. They want to focus on their age. They want to focus on their weight. They want to focus on how much money they make because that determines what class they're in within our society. Oh. And all of these numbers are really just holding us back from our inner magic and preventing us from being able to step into that power and live a life that we truly deserve mm. and want really ultimately. And so one thing that I think is really, really powerful, all of my clocks in my house are dead. They don't work first of all. Nice. So if I need to show up to a meeting like today, for instance, mm. I just set that little alarm clock on my phone it goes off and I'm like okay it's time for me to do this thing but I'm not constantly checking the time. the time and then with the scale the number one thing I tell everybody to do throw out the scale yes what is it going to do for you yeah what what yeah. what is what is knowing that number like what does mm -hmm. that do I know that I had that experience as I moved further and further away from diet culture it was it was similar for me too I got to the point where my trainer um decided that he wanted to weigh everybody in every week and I was mm -hmm. like I I don't want to know and he goes well yeah. I, I'm just going to know so we can track it so I would get on the yeah. scale and I would not pay attention he would write it down and I would ignore it and then after maybe a month I just said to him I said I 
I don't, I don't even want you to know. It's just not important mm-hmm. to me. It's not important to me. If I'm paying you, it, it shouldn't be important to you either. I don't understand mm-hmm. how this number, because now I'm thinking about it. Well, did I put on weight this week? Ha- have I lost weight this week? What's my body yes. fat this week? Yes. What does it matter? <laughs> well, like I was training. Yeah. I was training six hours a week, getting stronger, really enjoying mm-hmm. the activity. What did it matter whether or not my body mass went up or down? Yes, I actually had a very similar experience and it was one of my first times really standing up for myself when it came to my body autonomy, right? Mm. And knowing that I was in this certain place within my recovery and healing journey. So um, I walk in and I'm working with a personal trainer for the first time in my life. And they want to break down all of my macronutrients and tell me what to eat and give me a food plan. And then they were like, okay, are you ready to step on the scale? I'm like, actually, I'm going to stop you because I'm not going to follow your meal plan. First of all, I'm not interested in your meal plan. I'm not interested in your macronutrients. (laughs) I have that information already and I'm not going to step on that scale. Yeah. Because quite frankly, that doesn't tell you anything about my health. Yep. What tells me about my health is, am I feeling energized from this movement that I am doing with my body right now? Beautiful. And that's it. Yeah. And they, they were really thrown off. They were like, well, are you sure? And I'm like, can you just show me a new exercise, please? <laughs> yes. it, it's since when did movement? And I know we obviously know why, you know, it's a billion dollar mm-hmm. industry, but movement to be connected with, with weight. It's like, mm-hmm. like it doesn't make any sense. I, I saw a beautiful meme the other day and it's a bit crass. So bear with me. It said, um, it was, it was like trainer. So what's your goals for joining the gym? Me to be able to ride that D for the next 30 minutes. <laughs> like I was like, now that's a goal. Like that's a goal. Yeah. I want to be able to go hard on that D for a solid half an hour, 45 minutes. Yeah. Like, now that that's a reasonable goal. Like it's like, I don't, I don't yeah. care about how much I lose. I want to be fit enough. Mm-hmm to do the things that I want to do in life. And that happens to be one of the ones that she uh, wanted to do in her life. Well, and I absolutely love that goal because that tells us what area we need to focus for muscle improvement, right? And so let's strengthen those thigh muscles and let's maybe work on the core a little bit and build up that muscle. I think that can tell you so much more about a person's um, goals and health and and whether or not they're even happy because sexuality is a huge part of our happiness yes. enjoyment in life pleasure yeah. is very important in all of these different ways yep so yes yes to that <laughs> and I wish more people could talk about that that is yeah. a huge aspect that we are shamed for and it shouldn't be shameful no, yeah, it's like cool. I, you know, why do you want to? Why do you want to build a stronger glute? As you say, so I can be on my knees for longer. Like, yeah. it, it, you know, it's like, well, <laughs> I, imagine if we looked through gyms and and health through the lens of how do you want to live your life, or like, what do you do a lot of? Like, it might be for me that if they ask me the question rather than do you want to lose weight, it would be like, how do you want to live your life? Yeah. And if I want to live my life well, you know, I would just like to be able to go for a daily walk for an hour. If that's Mm -hmm. all my goal is, and then I want to feel energized throughout the day, then what I need to eat and how I need to exercise is completely different to someone who goes, I want to be a heli skier and I want to be able to jump out of planes and ski down the mountains. That's a really different, a really different goal set. 
So why yes. why are we giving the same plan to the same person? It's assuming that 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 person needs to be a certain weight for that. If you want to be a featherweight boxer, you're probably going to have to be small. If you want to be a race car driver, you are going to have to be small. That's the reality mm-hmm. of those sports. But if I want to read novels, <laughs> it's <laughs> I don't really particularly need a small body to do that, you know? Yeah, I was actually just having a very similar conversation with my mother-in-law about this yesterday. Um, I don't even remember how it came up, but we were on the topic of exercise and how, you know, one thing that I really do in my practice is making sure that we are looking for joyful movement, not movement to change the body. We want to do this for the body, not to the body. And for, you know, for me, that's going to look a lot different because I struggle with chronic pain. And so every fitness professional I have ever worked with always said, you need to work out X amount of time, how this many days you need to aim for six days a week. Okay. Well, I have chronic pain and strength training is going to inflame my muscles. So that can really only be incorporated maybe twice a week. Yeah. And that's on a good week. Yeah. So this needs to look different for me. I'm not going to enjoy moving my body if I'm constantly in pain <laughs> and trying to push through that. Pain. And you can't move your body if you're constantly in pain and trying exactly. to push through it. Yeah. Exactly. And so what it becomes is, well, first of all, there's no expectations. If I can only move for five, 10 minutes a day. Okay, great. I moved five, 10 minutes a day. If I can you know, if I have the ability to push myself a little bit further that day Mm -hmm. and I do like a full strength training session of yoga Mm -hmm. for 30 minutes and I don't hurt by the end, that is a huge celebration because that means I took good care of my body that week and I was able to go a lot longer than usual. So when I'm working with clients, for instance, it's what kind of movement do you actually enjoy? Do you yeah. really like jumping on that treadmill and running for an hour and feeling like crap afterwards? <laughs> the answer is usually no. Typically. And so, okay, what do you enjoy? Mm. And what I'm getting is a lot of people love swimming. Yes. Okay, well, swimming is actually, not only is it cardio, but it's also strength because yep. there's that resistance training mm-hmm. and there's stretching involved as well. So you are stretching your muscles, getting the blood flow going. And very meditative is, as well. Like it, there's a mental health capacity, yeah. of like having to learn your time, you're breathing and stuff. There's a, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Can the goal be to just feel good in your body? Oh. And what does that look like for you? What do you actually enjoy doing? And the industry does not support that, you know, in, no, in, in my experience. Don't. It even was when I was doing lots of strength and conditioning training, mm-hmm. um, I realised I was like, I'm really strong, which means that I can be stronger in the gym. There wasn't anything in my life practically, mm-hmm. apart from maybe being able to not take two drips, trips with the groceries from the car, apart from the fact that I could carry them all at the same time, there wasn't really anything in my everyday life that I was benefiting from. Um, mm-hmm. I was only training to do harder things at the gym, which is mm-hmm. which was cool if you enjoyed that, if that was a win. But for me, I'm like, I, I want it to be something that, that it adds to my everyday life. I want it to be able to feel something like there's a, like I was flogging myself and it was in, you know, it was in my transition from eating disorder, like disordered eating into mm-hmm. tra- like disordered training, if that makes sense. I think that you'd probably yeah. think that like, oh yeah, I have definitely <laughs> been there. <laughs> that, that, that transition of like, 
oh, well, no, I'm just going to eat healthily and exercise really hard um, <laughs> constantly and push myself. And, you know, it was six days a week. It was, it was, you know, 10 hours a week training was not enough mm-hmm. kind of vibe. Yeah. Well, and when we're in that experience of we're going to eat all of these super clean foods and this is the healthy thing to do. Well, okay. First of all, that's actually not enough calories for how much we're pushing ourselves at the gym. And so in turn, not only are we physically exhausted, but we're mentally exhausted as well, because we're not feeding our brains the way they need to be fed. And then our soulful nourishment is lacking. So we're just all sorts of exhausted oh and that's not healthful that's not true genuine health it wasn't I I you know and being I'm in a bigger body people and I and I talk about this um you know sometimes on social media I will have people say but you're unhealthy that's bad you're unhealthy and I would say you looked at me 15 kilos ago which however many pounds it is I can't remember Mm -hmm. um but you know 15 20 kilos ago you would have looked at me and said I was healthy but I wasn't, I just wasn't, I was pushing myself. I was exhausted. And I got to the point, I remember that Christmas came and my gym closed for the week over Christmas. And I just looked at my partner at the time when it came to reopen, it was January and it was time to go back. And I looked at my partner, I said, I, I just, I'm, I'm remembering now the exhaustion. I was like, I just can't, I just wish I didn't have to go back. Yeah. I'm so tired. And he goes, you don't have to. And it, blew my mind I was like I don't have to and he's like you don't have to like if if it's not if you're not enjoying it then don't and I was so exhausted that at the time and actually still now must have been three or four maybe four no probably four or five years ago now um I adrenal fatigue I don't know if you're familiar with that term but like my adrenals burnt out to the point I had been so stressed and so highly strung and so disordered in my eating and exercise for so long that my body just like I couldn't even go for a 15 minute walk and you know, you, you know, that with chronic pain with a chronic fatigue and it still hits me now. If I push my body too hard, it just crashes and I now need to sleep for 12 hours a night and can exercise for only 10 minutes if I'm lucky. So, you know, there's, there's Mm -hmm. days when I push myself and that's what, that was the result of that. Mm -hmm. Go so hard for so long. How, how is that possibly healthy? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that more of us have experience with than we would maybe care to admit. And a lot of us don't even have the language to put to that. A lot of us don't have the training or the education to be able to say, this is what happened. It's well, I feel like, am I allowed to swear here? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to slip a curse word and then all of a sudden be like, oh no, we can't do that. You're welcome. Um, Cool. So I, I had a client come to me and she's like, I just feel like shit. And I, I can't wake up in the morning when I want to wake up. I can't do these things that I really love doing. Mm. And what it came down to is, well, first of all, we're living in middle of a pandemic. We yeah. are all tired mentally and emotionally. We are drained and a lot is happening in the world. Yep. That's a lot to see your whole world go up in figurative and literal flames. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It is. So there's one factor that we really have to consider that's going to make the cortisol go up mm-hmm. and your body knows to heal in every way possible through sleep. Yeah. So of course you don't want to get up in the morning, but yeah. on top of that, it, this particular individual was not eating enough. Yeah. <laughs> and she was really struggling to sleep. And so falling asleep was hard, but then mm-hmm. waking up 
was even harder. Uh, yeah. She wasn't eating enough throughout the day. She was pushing herself harder at work. I mean, of course, we are going to hit burnout. Yeah. Especially when we are really, really high on stress. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because we don't always realize what stress actually is. We think yes. that if we're not struggling in our relationships, mm-hmm. if our friendships are doing well, if our family members are doing well, if we're not necessarily in a place of complaint with work, yep. then we can't be stressed, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, actually we're all stressed right now. Uh-huh. I don't think there's a single person in the world that is a hundred percent right now. We're all struggling. So this is where deep compassion comes in Mm. and let's look at what is going to nourish you spiritually. What does your soul want to do right now? Because until your emotions are cared for and your spirit is cared for, you're not going to be able to get back to the gym. You're not going to be able to start meal prepping the way you wanted to, because you live a really busy life. That's not going to happen. We have to start from this box before we can get over to this box. Sometimes we have to break that big picture into smaller pieces. And I love what you're saying there. It starts with the emotional and spiritual health. It's our mental, emotional and spiritual body that we need to actually focus on first Mm -hmm. before our, before our physical body, because if we put our physical Mm -hmm. body first, where's it drawing the energy from you know the and and when I say energy not it's not just the physical energy I was talking to my brother just this morning and and a message from him he's homeschooling his two kids and you know we've now been in lockdown for I think it's probably only been six or seven weeks but we haven't been able to leave our house for six or seven weeks apart from the Mm -hmm. four usual things that you're allowed to leave the house for our whole country has been in lockdown pretty much for a year and a half it's pretty hectic Mm -hmm. over here right and, and I, I, I said, the overwhelming thing is that well, I'm tired. Like I'm, I'm tired now. I'm not necessarily doing much. It's not like I'm out socializing all the time or hitting mm-hmm. hard yoga classes or anything. I'm just at home. And, but the overall thing is that I'm tired. And the realization there is that no matter where I go, I can't avoid what's happening in the world right now. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, very, it's the first time that many of us have ever experienced something that's happening on a world scale. You know, Mm -hmm. it might be that there's bushfires happening somewhere or there's war happening somewhere or there's something, but this is global. Everybody's experienced this. You can't go on social media. You can't turn the telly on. You can't Mm -hmm. um, even have a conversation like this. We're here to talk about body image, but we, and (laughs) self-esteem and self-love, yet it has to come in part of it because it is playing out and irrelevant of where you stand on the matter, there is an element of like, it gets into our soul. It gets into our emotional mm-hmm. state. It's we have to take into consideration the mental and emotional and spiritual stress that we all experience mm-hmm. on a daily basis, let alone in a time of craziness that it is right now. It impacts. Yes. Us. Yes. I, you know, so many people just want to neglect their emotions because we're kind of taught that our emotions will just go away, but <laughs> our body really holds on to every single one of them. Sure do. And you can't just slap an affirmation on it and expect yourself to be okay. Band-aids don't work. And you can't really believe it if you haven't processed what you're feeling and thinking. (laughs) So like, we have to be able to process that. I am peace, I am peace, I am peace, I am peace, I am peace. I'm going to walk on a show. I'm peaceful, I'm peaceful, I'm peaceful. (laughs) That's called denial. 
Exactly. I mean, even before I hopped on here, um, sharing a little bit of piece of myself for a second, mm. I um, have a child with another person that I am not in a relationship with mm. and we share custody mm. and it can be very frustrating. That it can. <laughs> my partner was so kind to go pick up my son from his dad and bring him home so that I could get ready and like center myself. And then yes. he comes home and he hands me $40 and says, um, his mom wants school pictures. And also if they refer somebody, do they get a discount on tuition at Aiden's school? And I'm like, I can't deal with this right now. <laughs> and immediately I could feel my skin just start to get really hot and my heart's pounding. And I feel like I just want to scream. So I go in my, I go into my safe space. Mm-hmm. I close the door. I turn on my meditative music and I'm sitting there trying to meditate. I'm like, I am peace. I am peace. And inside I'm just screaming. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck this. Yes. <laughs> Scream it. Scream it out. <laughs> so I am like, I'm breathing and internally screaming, but not externally screaming because I'm mindful of the fact that my child's going to want to know why I'm screaming. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm just like physically moving all of this anger out of my body. I'm like, I can't be holding on to this right now. And I pull out my Oracle cards of which is the divine feminine. I love working with the divine feminine Mm. and I get Freya and I'm like, ah, yes, this makes sense. Who is Freya and and what, what, what is it about her? So I don't, I am not knowledgeable all about like Freya's background and who she Mm. is, but, um, and I really didn't take the time to read her full description either, but I remember researching her when I was younger. She was the, one of the very first divine feminine beings that Mm. I had stumbled across in like elementary school. I think I was watching a show about witches and Freya had come up. And so I became fascinated for a long time was, you know, hell bent on having a girl and naming her Freya. Well, that didn't happen, (laughs) (laughs) but she is the uh, essentially a goddess of strength and inner truth Mm. and Mm. really being cautious of your boundaries. Yeah. Saying yes, only when it's a hell yes. Yeah. And saying no, when it's not Mm -hmm. and really just holding true to who you are and remembering that you can't actually care for other people if you are not caring for yourself first yeah but you are a priority and so in that moment when I am looking at this card and I'm reading the affirmation that comes with it and I'm reading why my soul chose that card it became very apparent to me that I'm actually giving my power away to somebody that doesn't deserve my power and in that moment I'm like I can now release this yeah and we're gonna be okay but I had to take that time to be able to process it now keep in yes. mind too that like this isn't one of those I was able to manage this in like 10 15 minutes today but when it comes to hard emotions mm-hmm. triggered through trauma or pandemics or you know whatever it may be mm-hmm. it's going to take longer to process that yeah. the only reason I can do it this fast is because I have been working with my <laughs> own support team yeah. for years to learn how to do it this yeah. fast and- Thank you for being so real with that as well. I think that there is that temptation of going, oh, my God, I can just, you know, sit down and scream in my head and read a card and it'll all be good. And and yes, but only because you are that like that now. It's it, yeah. it, that's that's 
conditioning of your spirit, conditioning of your emotions and your mental health for so long. That that's the reality. You've been practicing that. That's so anything that we practice, we get better at and we become faster at it. So that's why. And I think that, you know, even with bigger emotions, typically what's happened is that we have a backlog. You know, if you start to open the valve of an emotion, you have typically for people, and in my experience with my clients, 10, 15, 20, 40 years worth of backlog of emotions that people haven't been dealing with. So, so, you know, I can see why people, and I was, it was the same for myself. I was afraid to let the doors open because, oh my gosh, how am I ever going to process my whole life? But once, once you've done, (laughs) once you've spent a few years and it probably takes, can take that time of working with therapists Mm -hmm. and stuff. It's like, you can almost come back to a sort of, a zero point when maybe you're just processing the emotions from the last week. Yeah, they might be triggered mm-hmm. from your childhood of not being enough, um, of people pleasing. That's why you're mm-hmm. giving away your power now. But it's almost like a, a cleaner slate. So now you're just mm-hmm. dealing with the emotion that's in front of you rather than the 1,200 emotions waiting for you to go, I want to be heard. I want, I want, I want space. I want air time. Yeah, yeah. It, what's coming up for me right now too is you know, we, a lot of us aren't taught how to deal with the hard emotions. And I work really hard with my child because I want him to have it easier. And he's also in therapy because he's my first child and I don't know how to be a parent all the time. So like, I know there's going to be something there. So I'm like, okay, you know what? We're just going to nip this right now and take care of it Mm -hmm. as we go along. Yeah. But like bottom line is if you haven't been taught how to deal with your big emotions, it's going to feel like a floodgate the first time you do it. It's just going to lift it and it's going to, it's going to lift and it's going to all come crashing down. Yep. And I remember the first time I did it, I felt absolutely just crippled. Yeah. I curl up in a fetal position and I cried for hours. Yeah. And then at the end of it, I was like, actually I can do this. Yes. Yeah. I just needed to be able to feel it. Yeah. And through the last, I don't know, two decades, I've been able to get to this place where there's perceivably negative emotions, but I view every emotion as good. Yeah. Nice. And the reason is, is because those, those perceivably negative emotions are going to hold a really powerful wisdom that I can learn from and grow from. And it's only going to make me it, you know, move forward into this future version of me that I most want to be. <sighs> and so whatever that person is mm-hmm. in the future, she is a mother. She is an embodiment of love. She is a divine being. And I can't be a divine being if I'm not holding the wisdom mm-hmm. from the shitty parts of life. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, that, that, that angle to look at it like that, I often talk about, you know, emotions are indicators. They're just communicating something with you. You need yeah. to know what they have to say. There's something going on there. They're communicating with you. And when you ignore, you're denying yourself your truth. And I love that lens of you cannot become the divine being that you are unless you get the, you draw the wisdom from the shit, from the, yes. <clears throat> from the experiences of life. That's how we that's how we get experiences. I, I remember mm-hmm. for myself, Kat, there was a um, many, many moons ago before I went on any kind of personal development journey or spiritual development journey, I had this really poor relationship with failure. I thought that if I failed, I was a failure and I very much personalized it and very much made it mean that 
I was not okay, that I was bad. And growing Mm -hmm. up in a household being that I wanted to be good, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to be good. So I would never try things that I knew I would be bad at. So I never did anything new. I never experimented because, you know, even when I was learning to play an instrument, I might hear, you know, it was meant innocently, but the whole don't give up your day job. I don't know if you have that in America. It's a, yes, we do. You have that same kind of saying, like we, we have coined it in Australia. It's called tall poppy syndrome. I don't know if you've heard of that. I have not. Yeah. So that's how pervasive it is in Australia. If someone grows too tall, like a poppy Mm -hmm. that goes higher than the rest of the poppies, you need to cut them down. So they're the same size as everybody else. Oh, literally. So this is what happens in the Australian culture that don't stand out. Don't shine. Mm -hmm. Don't get too big for your, for your boots. I know that that happens in America. Brene Brown spoken Mm -hmm. about that. Um, but there was a sense of, you know, my dad would say to me, if I'm learning an instrument, he would say to me, you know, well, there's a don't give up your day job, but, oh, aren't you good at that yet? Or, oh, gosh, you, you know, you need to do it quietly mm. or, or you're making a lot of mistakes. And I'm like, at the mm-hmm. time I didn't realise, I thought, oh, yeah, well, I suck, that's why. And I, so I put the instrument away. I stopped doing mm-hmm. the thing that I was bad at. And mm-hmm. yet now, having done all the work that I have and learning I'm, I've been learning the piano for the last two years or so. I'm learning Spanish. I learned how to roller skate to the point that I could play roller derby. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I, I failed. I have failed so much. I've fallen yeah. over. And my coach used to say to me, if you're not falling over, you're not trying hard enough. And yes, it blew my mind. And in my coach training, my life coach training, there was said that, you know, to live the life of your dreams is not for the faint hearted and failure is is that is how you succeed and Mm -hmm. I had never come across this before I never realized Mm -hmm. that in order to learn something new you have to suck at it (laughs) like you you have to in everybody who everybody who I look around me that I deemed to Mm -hmm. be successful sucked in the beginning and it's the same with our emotions right when we first go into Mm -hmm. that trying to learn how to deal with those emotions like you in the fetal position for three Mm -hmm. hours going, oh my gosh, but that's only because you were new at it, you know? Exactly. Exactly. I think that it's really common. I I don't know about Australia, but in the U S especially it's like men are just so ready to go out into the world and prove themselves and do the things. And then women it's so much harder yeah. because we're taught to be quiet. Don't be too loud. Don't be too big. Don't take up space. And I'm reflecting on this too, because I'm working on putting together a talk. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like writing all of this out for the past week. And what really came to mind is in, in my experience through all of my upbringing mm-hmm. and all of the women that I had surrounded around me, it was always don't speak your opinions. Yep. Don't speak your truth. Mm-hmm. Stop being so loud. You're supposed to be quiet. Yes. Just nod and smile. Be complacent. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm just not a complacent being. <laughs> I've never known how to be complacent. I can try, but yeah. then it feels like I'm dying. So yep. I stop. <laughs> yep. Right. And so it becomes this really it it becomes an internal battle Mm. where it's like, okay, so we are, we are born to be perfectionists. 
<clears throat> and I am going to be perfect at everything. And if I'm not, then I'm just not going to do that thing. Yeah. Yep. Well, here's the thing. Everything is a muscle Yeah. and we have to learn it. And what I love about your topic with body image and self-love is the vast majority of us women, especially we're not taught to love our bodies. No, we were taught to hate ourselves from the beginning. Yeah. From the beginning. Yeah. yeah, it is a muscle that is learned mm-hmm. and you have to trail train it and you have to fail it in order to get to this place of we're okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah it, it takes practice. It, it takes practice. Just in the same way. And I, I love that you've highlighted that we have practiced being small. We've practiced being mm-hmm. quiet. We've practiced holding ourselves back. You are naturally not a a quiet reserved individual yet you were taught mm-hmm. your whole life to be that way and similarly you know i i'm 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 noticing that even what's going on in the world now i'm i'm very naturally non-compliant i but but as a child i was always compliant i always mm-hmm. just i wanted to be a good girl and be, because yeah. that was what was valuable if if i was mm-hmm. outspoken if i was opinionated then then attention or love was taken away from me in the world you yes. know it's like shh like you know be, be quiet mm-hmm. be small you're you're a girl very specifically to being a woman the men in my household were allowed to be big they were allowed to be loud they were allowed to mm-hmm. have opinions they were allowed to 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 fart and burp and sit there in a pair of trousers with their legs open I was yep. not you know the double standards yes. I grew up with four older brothers in my household so and I was the only girl so the double standards in my house were so evident to me I Mm-hmm. There were rules for them and there were a very different set of rules for me and my mother. Very, very mm-hmm. different set. Um, you know, even that, and that comes to it. My eldest brother used to tell me to shut my legs when I was eight, if I was sitting there with my legs open with mm-hmm. a pair of pants on, like I was wearing, I was wearing jeans and I'm eight mm-hmm. and he would tell me to shut my legs. You don't want to be a whore. I'm like, I'm a child. I haven't even, yes. I, like, I'm not even, where is your head at? That, yeah. that that is somehow, but but my brother didn't have to shut his legs, but I had mm-hmm. to shut my legs. And mm-hmm. you know, even if he was wearing very short football shorts with no underwear on, and I could see his junk hanging out, he didn't have oh, to shut his gosh, legs. Yeah. He didn't have to shut his, but I certainly had to shut mine. It, yeah. uh, and it never, it, even I, t- I tell you a story. I did a um maybe four or five years ago. I, I did a vipassana. I don't know if you're familiar with that, the ten day silent meditation retreat. Yeah, I have heard about it. So I I did that quite a few years ago now, and and I was in the a deep meditation, as you do, you meditate for about eight eight or nine hours a day. Mm-hmm. And so there I am in deep meditation, and we, we were all told that you have to be. I, I presume all of us were told this prior to coming, but you, you couldn't wear anything that was too revealing. You had to. You couldn't have your shoulders out. You had to cover your shoulders because it's distracting. That's what we were told that you had like you couldn't wear skirts or shorts. You had to wear longer pants because it was considered distracting. I, as I said, I don't know if the men got the same narrative, like the same information, but but I certainly received it. That mm-hmm. I had to have things I could, you know, I had, I had to dress demurely. I suppose would be the thing. Anyway, one day meditation. I'm deep in meditation. I'm in such a good zone. I'm doing amazing stuff. But I happen to be sitting open-legged so I'm on the floor and I'm kind of like in a frog position so my legs are up and out and I was wide 
Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden there's a tap on my shoulder and I'm like, <gasps> like, and I kind of like come out of the meditation very quickly. And I was like, what? Like what's happened? Like I was genuinely concerned. And the facilitator, <laughs> a female facilitator told me to close my legs. <gasps> And I just, and it's silent, right? We're meant to be silent. So we don't talk, yeah. you don't talk. And everyone else is meditating. I'm in a room full of another 50 people meditating. And mm-hmm. I was just stunned. I just came out of a meditation suddenly and got told to close my legs because, because the, the, the guru at the front of the room, I was, had my legs open to them. I was infuriated. Kat, I can't, I cannot tell you how oh bad I was. I I was just like, I'm here to meditate. What? And like, mm-hmm. I was wearing pants, like full, mm-hmm. full pants. I just happened to have my legs open, and mm-hmm. I was literally interrupted out of my meditation to told to be told to close my legs. And I, oh my gosh, that makes me so angry for you. <laughs> and this is also because you know I've really. I have been through so much deconstruction over the way I have taken responsibility as somebody in a female body Mm. for the outside's perceptions of me. And for, you know, for the longest time, I felt so ashamed for being the mom with a crop top and ripped up jeans. And I was talking to my partner about this and he had looked at me and he's like, well, why is this such a big deal for you? Mm. I'm like, because I have already been shamed for being a teen mom for yeah. the past eight years. Yep. And, and now I'm going to be shamed because I don't cover up my body the way I'm supposed to. Yes, because you're and a mother like, now. You have to have some kind of, you know. I'm supposed to be modest. Modest. And, yeah, that's and, cool. and to make sure that my, my child doesn't see my body. Okay, well, first of all, I don't want my child ever growing up around body shame. So we're not doing that. And second of all, when it is 90 degrees out, I don't want to have everything covered. It's not comfortable. And if I'm not comfortable in my body, well, then the whole day is just going to be off. And I think think that leads into also the the desexualization of women. Mm -hmm. Like you can only be sexual when it's when it's profitable in that sense, like a mom yes. shouldn't, shouldn't be sexy anymore. Like you're not allowed to have sex anymore. Now that you've become a mother, right. you become that role and you're no longer allowed to be sexual, sexy, or, or have sex. Right. Right. Which is just completely ridiculous. Unless you're trying to have and another baby, in which case that's okay, but you should only ever do it once. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. We don't, we don't talk about sex after we have no children. pleasure. No, not allowed. Right. And I think the thing that really gets me the most is women's breasts and nipples mm-hmm. are sexualized every day yeah. <laughs> has been for decades yeah. and years and centuries yeah, blah, blah, yeah. Blah. but they're not inherently sexual parts of the body no. they actually serve a purpose mm. they are meant to nourish children of whom we grow within us and then birth into the world what is inherently sexual is a man's nipples as as you were saying that I was like it it led I was like holy shit men's nipples are inherently sexual yes they are they were they were they were there for sexual stimulation correct they're not they don't serve a purpose other than (laughs) like the same way that our that our clitoris is there like nipples are men's clitorises and they just 
<laughs> and they just get to be on their chest out in the world whenever the hell that they want. Yep. Oh. Yep. It is the thing that makes me so angry. Um, but I, I will I just willingly walk out into the world without a top on? Well, no. No. But I am, I have gotten to that place in life where I am the woman who walks out without a bra. Yeah. Because first of all, what bra is comfortable? <laughs> None. Yep. <laughs> Second of all, I am far more confident mm-hmm. without the jabbing of a wire nice. in my ribcage. Nice. Right. And so if I want to feel confident and comfortable in my body walking outside my home, mm-hmm. and that oftentimes means that I'm not going to wear a fucking bra because yeah. why? Yes. <laughs> Because why? That that was created by men for women, not by women for women. Yes. Yeah. And And I am not going to uphold that. No. And and that's the thing. I mean, I know people who feel much more comfortable in a bra. um, And I, for probably the last, I reckon, year and a half, no, two years now, I don't, I only wear crop tops. So I only have, I I have large breasts. So I often wear, and it's just a crop top. There's no underwires. There's no nothing. And what I notice is that the shape of my breasts, because I have teardrop boobs, means they're lower Mm -hmm. and they've always sat lower. I don't have particularly, you know, the, the porn perky kind of tits that are considered the oh, they're all fake anyways. <laughs> you know, this like perky, I've looked at them, always been teardrops. So I've always thought that they were saggy because mm-hmm. I was perceived, you know, like I perceived as a child, like I got these boobs mm-hmm. by the time I was nine. So, so that was hectic within, in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But I had this perception that they needed to be perky and the fact that they weren't mm-hmm. was a bad thing. So I've always worn bras to lift mm-hmm. my boobs up. To, so they sit here rather than here. Like that's yeah. if I was wearing a proper bra, mm-hmm. they would be sitting mm-hmm. up here right now and I would have cleavage and stuff. But now I'm like, this is more comfier for me. There's no underwear. Yes. It's one shape. It goes over my head. And actually, if I'm going for a walk, I feel far more comfortable taking my top off. Now I've got what looks like a crop top, a sports yep. bra underneath rather than a lacy thing. Yep. Now, I like lacy things when I'm getting in the mood and I might yep. wear it for... 25 minutes before it gets ripped off me that's about the only time but I want to wear the, yeah. the the lacy thing and I want to make it very clear too that it is 100% about comfort and yeah. I the majority of my girlfriends they they all have much larger chests than I do mm-hmm. I am a small human through and through mm-hmm. I really don't have much cleavage whatsoever mm-hmm. especially after nursing a child the shape of my my breasts have significantly yeah. changed yeah and that in and of itself was a whole healing journey yeah, would have been um but I I can wear things a certain way that make me feel comfortable that maybe wouldn't make my best friend feel comfortable because she is a large chested individual and yeah. she needs a little extra support so that she feels good in what she's wearing. And yeah. most often that's going to be a sports bra because it doesn't require a wire to poke you in the ribs. Yes. And, and, <laughs> and if and I'm wearing a white shirt, i put on a black. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like there's just, there's different levels of comfort. I think it's really important that we do make it very clear too, that body diversity is more than just shape and size. Mm. Not every individual's breasts are going to be round and perky like they show in the movies. Uh And in fact, I think teardrop shape Mm -hmm. is probably more common than we're led to believe. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and that, I mean, that extends as well, I think to, to vulvas, 
You know, um, I think that there's this real, and and I myself fell prey to this, that that there was, there's one type of vulva um, that you're meant to look like down there. Like there's just like, because of pornography, I think that, mm. and because we don't show each other our bits, you know, because we're uncomfortable, mm. because we have such a fear of being naked and it's such a yeah. shameful experience in the world, we don't yeah. see other bodies. Uh, in mm. one of my... In one of my talks I do it at all female festivals, I effectively strip down to my to my knickers, just my underwear. So my boobs are out. If if I'm allowed to, I tend to go full naked. And and I and I walk through a crowd of 200 women naked. Oh my gosh. To to and and uh, and invite everybody to stare at me. I'm like, I want you to look, mm-hmm. look at the bits that you're never allowed to look at. Or the only times you're allowed to look at is is the before picture. I want you to look mm-hmm. at this body. I want you to see the stretch marks, the wrinkles. I want you to see the curves, the shapes, the folds. I want you to see the hair. I want you to see the pimples. I want you to see the realness of a human body mm-hmm. and, and recognise yourself in that. Recognise mm-hmm. that that we're, all we see, when we see naked bodies, typically are in the world, it's pornography. And, yeah. and they are... <sighs> they're not real bodies most of the time. I mean, they are. Those people mm-hmm. exist in those bodies, but they're not a, a, the, the regular kind of bodies, which means that mm-hmm. it leads us to believe that tits are perky. It leads us to believe that vulvas are completely neat and all the lips are on the inside. Whereas mm-hmm. for a lot of people, like vulvas come in as many different shapes and sizes and, and amounts than what people are. Like, And yeah. having babies vaginally, you're vulva mm-hmm. and your whole experience of your vagina might change as well mm-hmm. so like yeah. the more that we get to see and that's why very often I was just sharing the other day I on my social medias I I don't filter myself I never put a filter on my mm-hmm. face I often pose in very quote unflattering positions because Mm-hmm. I want people to see real bodies because it's so damaging when we don't. I love that you're the yes. mother popped up and the genes. I love that, mm-hmm. you know, your, your son will see your body and hopefully the bodies of men around him to understand that all mm-hmm. penises are different. All, mm-hmm. all bodies are different. There's diversity yeah. as diverse as each individual. Yes, 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 yes to all of that. And also how empowering mm. for you to give a group, a large group of women an opportunity to say, this is a real woman, a real person. This is a real body. Because even in the movies and TV shows, when we see sex scenes, it's all, you know, lighted and shown a very specific way. And those people generally undergo a very strict diet and exercise regimen in order to prepare for that scene to even be created in the first place. Yes. We're not shown real bodies yeah. on a regular basis, mm-hmm. especially in a natural setting. Yeah. And because the thing is, are we inherently sexual beings? Yes. Mm-hmm. But we're also more than that. Yeah. We are so much more than that. Being naked is one of the most vulnerable things that you can do. Yeah. And so many women are scared to even get into the shower oh. because they look down and they see something they think that shouldn't be shouldn't there. Be there. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I've had that experience too, especially after having a child mm. and that just flipped my whole world upside down. 
we have yeah. two bodies on what I would consider opposite ends of the spectrum. Like, like I'm five foot ten. How tall are you? I'm five foot nothing. <laughs> so, like, you know, we're, we're talking, we're a, almost a whole human. Even yeah. looking at us on the screen, we can tell that mm-hmm. I'm I'm bigger bodied and you're smaller bodied. Yet, mm-hmm. and and you know, you I, I I probably weigh two or three times more than you, right? And I want everybody listening at home, the, the mentality is the same. Just because we're in different bodies does not mean that the mentality mm-hmm. um, changed or that, you know, for me, I, I had to do the same thing. I had to stop weighing myself. I had to get rid yeah. of that. And, and you know, and, and I think that that's really important for everybody at home. Get rid of your scales is one of the first mm-hmm. things and stop trying to fit yeah. into clothes that are too small for you. Get rid of them. Yeah. Those were the number one things that I needed to do before I could even think about doing anything else. And this is, so my son is almost eight years old. So this is like three years of deep, deep commitment. I discovered intuitive eating. I started following a a very diverse um, profile account on my Instagram and my Facebook. Like I started following people of all different shapes and sizes and backgrounds and of course other coaches and um a lot a, a lot of like intuitive eating therapists and a lot of dietitians that took the anti-diet approach and mm. um and then there are some influences uh, influencers in there as well that I really love and appreciate because yeah. all of them helped me get to this place beautiful but I wouldn't have been able to do that had I not had that wake up call. Yeah. And my biggest mission as a coach mm-hmm. is to try to help women get there before that big wake up call. Yeah. Nice. Because I would never want my best friend, for instance, to not wake up until after she had a child who was exhibiting the same behavior. Yeah. Because that for me led to a lot of guilt, a lot yeah. of shame that I had to learn to release. Mm. And the biggest piece of it is, you know, I don't look into the mirror and say, I love my body. Mm. It's not like that. I don't love the way I look like 90% of the time. Yep. I do, however, appreciate my body Uh, as another human. That's what made all the difference was seeing my body as not just an object, but a human, another person that needed love and respect and care and compassion. Yep. And that's what changed everything. Less about the aesthetics. Like, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's the thing I, and, and I share the same thing as well. You don't have to like what your body looks like in order to love it. Because, because love is not, I like what it looks like, Mm -hmm. like that, that's like, Mm -hmm. when we think about love, when we love our children or we love our partners, Mm -hmm. we don't just love them because of what they look like. In fact, it's, yes, we want attraction to a partner, but that's not why we fall in love with someone. That's not how that works. in our you bodies. love somebody for who they are Correct. as a person Correct. and our bodies are naturally going to change. Are we always going to be physically attracted to our partners? Mm-hmm. Probably not, especially yeah. when we're older. Yes, that's, like, right. that's just, that's not going to be a thing. No, but you you're attracted to their heart you... and their soul and yes. you love who yes. they are. And I think that's the thing, you know, my approach 
I, I love that you're on the intuitive eating path. It's it's because it's so necessary. Mm-hmm. And you know, for for me, I I teach people how to how to te- it's similar to you that reprogram your brain so that you actually see your body mm-hmm. differently. It's not yeah. it's not an object that needs sculpting. It's mm-hmm. the vessel to which you live your life in. It's the vessel that exactly. I say gives you life, not just in the terms of like a, a female body for some females can produce children or might want mm-hmm. to produce children, but like it gives you life it, mm-hmm. and it fights for us every single moment of every single mm-hmm. day, even in the depths of your eating disorder, in the depths of mine, our bodies are still trying to keep us alive. Yes, like our bodies exactly. Us ridiculously, unconditionally, mm-hmm. our bodies love us. And most of the time mm-hmm. we treat them like shit. Something that my mentor taught me, Holly Toronto, she um, is my coach, my mentor, somebody that I have worked with for a little over a year now, but she's taught me that my body is my original life partner. And so how would, how do you treat your life partner? Right. You want respect, you want trust, you want communication, you want Mm. honesty, Mm. you want unconditional love. Yep. Those are qualities that I look for in a relationship. So why would I not apply them to my body if my body is my original life partner? Yes. She is the one that has been with me for my entire life. And will be for the rest of it. Exactly. And will be for the rest of it. Yeah. So it makes sense that we have to give the respect. Yes. And we have to give the unconditional love. Would we place conditions upon our children? Mm-hmm. Hopefully not. hmm I mean, that's, that would never be my intent. I've experienced yep. conditional love with family. Yeah. yeah. I would never give that to my child. Yes. So and why have, would I give that to my body? Exactly. And we have to realize that we are in a relationship with ourselves mm-hmm. mentally, physically, emotionally, yeah. spiritually. Yep. We are in a relationship with ourselves and mm-hmm. no matter. And in fact, it's the most important relationship because it's the only one that, that does not ever falter. You know, yes. you, you have uh, family members that come and go. You'll have partners that come and go. Your children, mm-hmm. they will grow and they will leave. You don't ever mm-hmm. get to leave you. And exactly. you are with you 24-7. And I've often shared that I was in a long-term, toxic, abusive relationship with myself. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. That's how that was. The, the mm-hmm. abuse, you know, the, the mental and emotional abuse mm-hmm. was hectic. But the physical abuse with the eating disorder, the restriction, yeah. the pushing myself, the cutting, the drinking alcohol, the fucking around, the, you know, the drug mm-hmm. taking, everything that I've done in my life was. Oh, my gosh, you were speaking my story. I know. <laughs> I know. I went, when I was yeah. reading yours, I was like, we are the same person. Yes. Um, that like it was all, you know, there's a sense of, uh, I don't know the culture in America, but in Australia, drinking drinking and, and getting waste on the weekend is a, is a right is a rite of passage, you know. In, yeah, in, in the 20s, yeah. and normal. even like after work on the weekdays, yeah. you're, you're just supposed to, you're supposed to wake up in the morning and do it all over again. And it's just so casual. And that's also how we deal with death and hard feelings yeah. and celebrations. And that's just like the default thing. Correct. And I act, <laughs> yes, and I actually don't drink anymore. Neither. I am sober. Yeah. I am over 10 years sober from substance abuse mm-hmm. and I am nearly two years sober from alcohol. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Because I, I that was another way eating. I was abusing my body. And, and I want to highlight that with everybody listening mm-hmm. and watching as well, because it shows, it, to me, they're all just the symptoms of the same thing. For me, yep. it was all, like it didn't matter what 
what I was doing, what, 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 what numbing agent I chose, mm-hmm. be that sex, be that busyness, be that yeah. people pleasing, be that drugs, mm-hmm. be that alcohol, be that food. It didn't matter yeah. what flavor it was. It was all me running away from my feelings. Yes. It was running away from me and the pain that I felt inside of me. Yeah. And when we yeah. can be brave enough and build the courage and work with a coach, work with a therapist, mm-hmm someone who can help hold our hand while we open those doors, we will heal the part of us that we're running away from. So then we don't yeah. need to take the drugs anymore. We don't need to do the online shopping. Mm-hmm. We don't need to spend days scrolling the internet because we have healed the part of us that we're trying to mm-hmm. run away from. And I face my demons so that I can be truly liberated. Oh, and I, I cannot share with everybody enough that that is the crux of this. Yeah. That is the ultimately the crux of it. We need to turn within, face the demons and realize mm-hmm. and give them love, right? I, I don't know yeah. about you and we haven't had this discussion, yeah. but the darkest parts of us are the parts that need love more than any it's, other part. It's literally little pieces of ourselves from our past through our childhood, our upbringing that are crying yep. for love. Every action is a call or a cry for love. Oh, oh, every single one. And so if you lash out at a loved one, for instance, mm-hmm. Something within you was triggered. Yeah. That is an inner child piece that probably needs to be healed. That needs a little bit of love. Love. Yeah. I mean, do I love who I always was in the past? No, I was a terrible teenager. Yeah. I, I was awful to myself and others because I didn't know how to love myself. And so how could I possibly love another person or allow that into yeah. my world? Yeah. Yeah. I had to learn how to give love to those darkest parts of my life and myself in order to be able to receive love. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the yeah. thing here. I mean, that is that saying that, you know, how can you love someone else if you don't love yourself? I, I think that we can, but we can't receive love because yeah. we don't know how to. We can't, mm-hmm. you know, if, if we don't know how to receive love, it's similar. If you don't know how to, to, to bring yourself into an orgasm, how the hell can you teach someone else how to? And yeah. they, they might get away, they, they might fluke it and they might mm-hmm. be able to do it because of, they've had lots of experience or they get lucky mm-hmm. or, you know, they just try so many things that eventually they figure it out. But mm-hmm. but you need to learn how to do it for yourself. And you're right. Mm-hmm. Face the demons and liberate yourself. We have the keys. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Kat, and let's things. absolutely highlight there too that those demons deserve your love. I do. And they might be scary, but they, they need your love. Yeah. And, and then you'll see they're actually not so bad. Because the only reason why they're demons, it's the whole like when it when a, a kid starts acting out for attention. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. they're doing that because they want the attention, right? Like there's a there's a yeah. sense of there's a behavior that they're they're wanting to be seen, they're wanting to be heard. So often mm-hmm. the parts of ourselves are yelling out, the demons in us yeah. are are just the scared children who don't know how to ask for love inside of us. Exactly. That's exactly it. Kat, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. For those of you listening at home, Kat yeah. and I just got straight in and and <laughs> and we just couldn't stop talking. <laughs> you would have noticed by now as well, asked for on the on on the call for an hour and a half. And I'm sure that we could go on for forever more. 
And um, I just want to share with everybody that, you know, that Kat, what I, what I love most about what you do is that it's lived experience. I, you know, and that's the same with me. You have lived experience. It's not, it's not that you've read how to do this in a book. It's not that, and, and you know, maybe with intuitive eating and skilled and stuff, of course you've gotten skilled and you've educated yourself mm-hmm. and you have lived experience. You know what this is like. Mm-hmm. You know what it's like to experience all of those demons. And as a result of yeah. that, to me, I haven't had a session with you, but I know that you would be brilliant because mm-hmm. when you have walked the shadow yourself, you're no longer afraid to walk the shadow with the client. You know, you, yeah. you would sit there and you would hold your client's hand knowing full well that no matter where you guys go in a session, you're going to be okay because you've done mm-hmm. it for yourself. And Well, and that's the thing too. I, you know, I went through, oh, geez, I think it was three, three full years of certification training all, all the while, like I am healing myself yes, and going into the darkest depths of the valleys that I could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. And that is why I do what I do. That is why I do the work because I, I want other women to feel just as free, if not more so and give themselves the opportunity to really feel in a home within themselves. Don't we all want that? You know, isn't, isn't that what we actually turned to dieting for? You know, mm-hmm. we, we turn to these to these addictions, we turn to these numbing, we turn to these behaviours mm-hmm. because what we're actually seeking is wholeness and what we actually want to do mm-hmm. is come home to ourselves. So the very thing that we want is actually through facing <laughs> facing the pain within ourselves and then we actually yeah. will come home and we actually will have liberation. Yeah, that's exactly oh. it. Now, now, beautiful cat, please, if you, if... You know, where do we find more about you? What, 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 where can, where can people come to maybe work with you? Do you have mm-hmm. anything that you have that we can go to your website or somewhere? Where can, where can people find more about you? Yeah. So first of all, thank you again so much for having me here so in this awesome. space thank with you. you. Um, I would love to connect again because this was just such a wonderful conversation. Well, it was, wasn't it? Let's do it again. It was. <laughs> <laughs> but um, as far as where to find me outside of this episode, I do have a free like journaling guide to help you rewrite your body story that I would love to be able to offer. That's a great place to start a wonderful support place to be. Um, and then that kind of like leads into a Facebook group that, um, is up and running. There's a community there. However, my relationship with social media has gotten quite complicated. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No doubt with what was happening in the world right now. It's quite a, can be quite a volatile place. It it is. And, um, you know, it really came down to, I don't know what my relationship is going to be moving forward with social media because I feel more true to myself and quite frankly, happier when I'm not online. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of the work that I do is going to be through my own podcast, mm-hmm. which is return of the intuitive woman. And I can send you a link if you don't have it, Please, if you yes. would like it. Yes. Um, and that's and, and do you have guests? Maybe that's how we jam again. Yes. <laughs> I was actually going to touch base with you oh, too, because awesome. I love this to. conversation so much. I would love to. Yeah. Um, so the, those are really the two places you can go right now. Um, yeah. I, 
I'll throw all the links in the, yeah. in the show notes. So, so for those yeah. of you who want to uh, get the free I'll gun. supply my email too. So yeah, like if there's, that's a really good way to connect with me right now, since I am in this complicated relationship with the internet. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think the internet can be so useful and so powerful, but I am simply just in a place in my life where I don't feel happy when I'm spending all my time there. I think that you wouldn't be the only person experiencing yeah. that, particularly yeah. in the world right now. I, I, I can't turn on my Facebook without there being just a, a barrage of, yeah, yes. it's, not, it's, it's yes. not always a great place to be. So, and yeah, I'll pop is, all those in the like, show notes. Yeah, so the yeah. Rewrite Your Body Story is a guide to help women explore their own relationship with their bodies, where it started, where mm-hmm. they are now, and where they would like to be. So I will pop the link yep. for that in the show notes as well as Kat's email. And, yeah, you can find her and, and the podcast naturally as well. So I think that that's a beautiful way to connect to be able to do yeah. that. And, and yeah, you'll be able to find her by email if you'd like to do any sort of a group coaching or intuitive mm-hmm. eating stuff. I would highly recommend based on this conversation, holy smokes, I think that there's some, yeah, there's so much wisdom that you have to offer. Thank we you. had such a lovely conversation. I just, I love connecting with people that I can vibe with right away. And this is absolutely what that was. So I look forward to being able to connect again and do this again. Likewise, Kat, thank you so much for being here on the More Confidential Learner Guide thank podcast. You. Until next time, happy self-loving. Bye. Whew, wasn't that a conversation? Kat and I could have talked forever. Thank you so much to Kat Fox to being on the More Confidence with Luna Gaia podcast. I've been your host, Luna Gaia. And if you don't already know, exciting times are coming up. My debut book, Perfectly Imperfect, Your Complete Guide to Loving Yourself and Loving Your Body, is out October 1st. So check out the link in the show notes, in the bio, for your opportunity to be able to access the VIP group. The VIP group has early early previews. You get to have little snippets of me in the book where you won't be able to find them anywhere else. They are exclusive to the VIP group. It's free to join. And there are offers and opportunities for you to be able to come to the launch party and potentially win some services with me. So win a program with me through joining the VIP group. I look forward to seeing you there sometime soon. And in the meantime, happy self-loving.